Hey, and welcome to episode 35. Yes, we're back on the podcast, Conversations About Animation. I'm your host, Philip Elke, coming to you from Hollywood. And today I'm joined by a motley crew of castmates on the Thodcast, uh, beginning with uh, most closely relative to where I am, coming to you from Los Angeles. It's uh, not my brother, but brother in spirit. Christopher Whitmer, how are you today? I'm Chris? doing all right, trying to stay cool. Welcome to the Thodcast. Welcome to podcasting. Hope you enjoy our time today. Thank you. Looking forward uh, to it. Yeah. We'll, we'll hear more from you in a bit. Uh, I guess next uh, closest <laughs> in proximity, um, coming to you from Minnesota, Hannah Lee Smart. Of course, Hannah, you've, uh, you've been on the show plenty of times. How are you today? I'm so good. Thanks for having me back, Philip. I'm so excited to talk all about. Oh, yes. Our movie today, movie today is a very special subject, but... Rounding out our cast today, uh, coming to you from Georgia. Hey, Jody, how are you today? Thanks for joining us. Yeah, happy to be here. I'd be lying if I said I wasn't thrilled about doing this podcast today with you all. Oh, yes, it's good to be back. Uh, we're in the dog days of summer here. In the sweltering heat of you know Minnesota, uh, Georgia, Los Angeles, respectively. <laughs> um, here to talk about the African Savannah uh, with the original The Lion King, 1994's Walt Disney animated classic, The Lion King, the, I believe, 30, oh crap, what was Aladdin, the 32nd animated film from Walt Disney Animation? So this would make it the, the 33rd. Whatever it may be, um, we're going to talk about the original The Lion King today primarily, but we will be coming out with an episode talking about the new one very shortly because I know that's on everyone's minds. All right. Well, let's get into it, you guys. Um, I, I think I'll just go around the same order, but um, I'm going to preface this by saying The Lion King is my very first memory as a child, as a human person, it's seeing the Lion King in a movie theater when I was two years old um, and desperately awaiting the home video release of the film. Um, fun fact, it is the highest selling piece of home media ever uh, with wow. around, <laughs> around 50 million units sold across all home video platforms. Um, so yeah, The Lion King is a very special film. Um, and uh, so Christopher, what, what's your, or Chris, hey, uh, what is your relationship? <laughs> I know you said uh, I should just call you Chris. <laughs> That's but, fine. Uh, Whatever's most we'll comfortable. For, for sure. Um, yeah, so like I was born in 1995, so I definitely didn't see it in theaters. Um, and I, probably my earliest memory of it is just bringing it home from the library and and being thrilled like the idea of of talking animals and just the visual um colors of the lion king it, i remember really thrilling me as a kid but i haven't seen it well i, I watched it a couple of days ago for the first time in probably five years so um it was a good good return back to the back to the childhood memories looking forward to seeing the live action as well yeah, you haven't seen mm. the new one yet. Um, 
So Hannah, how about you? Um, I was like dangling like my baby dolls like above my bed, screaming, pretending I was Rafiki <laughs> as a kid. Like I love the Lion King. I think it's such a Disney classic. I love that they're all animals. I love mm. that kind of a film. So we kind of talked about that in like Secret Life of Pets. Like in that they did have humans in it, but I just love talking animals. It's like one of my favorite parts of animation. Um, I love the action and the colors of the movie. I know you kind of mentioned that and just like the sunset. I love it. And Animal Kingdom, side note, is like my favorite Disney park. So Lion King just kind of brings it all home for me. And I just feel so at home and like I am the queen of Pride Rock. And I love it. I love it. Love, love, love. Awesome. Hey, Jody, how about you? Yeah, I'm not going to try to, like, out-love Hannah on Lion King <laughs> because it sounds like she love, love, loves it. I don't remember seeing it in theaters and, like, reflecting on myself. I don't remember seeing any Disney movie except for Tarzan in theaters as a kid. But I did have the VHS probably, like, every other 90s kid in the world. And while it's probably not my favorite, like, I would love to say it was, I it is my favorite soundtrack, like the Hans Zimmer instrumental portions and, like, obviously the Elton John Can You Feel the Love Tonight and I mean, the opening number to me, Circle of Life has got to be in my top five Disney songs. So the music of The Lion King is my favorite part. And then, of course, I, I love the animals just like anyone else, too. Um, it, it's a great movie. I've seen the new one, but like the original one is just such a classic. Ten out of ten. Mm, very good. Uh, I have it here. That is the 32nd film in the Disney animated canon um, we, we did discuss Aladdin previously uh, from two years prior to the release of The Lion King um, and, and also the, the remake on here on the Thodcast. Um, and it's uh, you know, kind of interesting that they're releasing these two remakes in the same year for these two consecutive films. But of course, being uh, two of the mainstays of the Disney renaissance of the 90s, um, the, the kind of four famous uh, mega hits, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, Aladdin, and Lion King. The only one that has not gotten a live, uh, well, live action, man, that's a, a tricky term because the new remake is not actually, it doesn't use any live photography. It's all animated. Um, <laughs> but um, th going back to the original, I mean, and we could, we can at least, for those of us who have seen the new one, um, maybe express our comparison just in terms of enjoyment. Um, I definitely love the original, you know, next to the remake, it's, it's just so, I don't know, it, it's hard to compare the two um, because the original is just so... Um, singular in in what it delivers and you know we wouldn't have the new one without just the tremendous impact the lion king was kind of the ultimate um capstone of disney animation back in the 90s so successful there wasn't even a number one um opening box office film from Disney until Tangled came out like 16 years later. So the, yeah, the studio took a fairly significant downturn 
after The Lion King, unfortunately. But um, it's kind of hard to beat The Lion King. <laughs> People are probably like waiting for something even better. And I mean, how do you yeah. beat The Lion King? <laughs> yeah, I, it is so unique though, because it is a film involving purely um, sort of realistically animated animals. And that presented a variety of challenges for the studio. Um, this the film directed by Rob Minkoff and Roger Allers um, dealt with you know the fact that these characters would have to um, present this story, this sort of Aesopian uh, fable um, type of story. Wait, isn't the story of the Lion King Hamlet? Yes, it is Hamlet. So Shakespeare. Yeah, I'm. So Not everyone has the notes, but this, I know it's Hamlet. It's Aesopian in the fact that it does tell a fable about, you know, fi finding your destiny, um, ascending to your role and, and not, you know, eschewing your responsibilities as a person, the whole circle of life thing. Um, I kind of liked how the new one explored that a little bit more, but, um, you know, you definitely get the sense. It's the, the whole Hakuna Matata theme. Um, but yeah, this one, uh, it, uh, all the characters, you know, they can't use props. They're all on their, you know, four legs. Right. <laughs> it's, it's difficult to communicate, um, the story in, in such a way. Bambi, of course, also dealt with realistic animals. Um, but that was more of a pastoral versus, a, an Aesopian fable, um, so this this was doing something entirely new. It had just this really epic soundtrack and a very big feel to it. It was combining uh, traditional hand-drawn animation with computer animation. So everything about it just felt massive. Um, Star Wars connection with like the, the James Earl Jones uh, voiceover performance. It, it just had that kind of cultural resonance that you'd find from a massive endeavor like a Star Wars film. Um, yeah, any any other thoughts right off the bat? Besides it's amazing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know if you guys have this in the notes, so I feel like I might throw it off. But the one thing I'm thinking now, because we were just talking about VHSs before we really dive into it, is I remember on the VHS for another Disney movie that they showed, you know, like the making of The Lion King, how they brought the live lions into the studio to sketch them and how that like their animation process was you know working with these live animals all the time i always thought that was interesting and it might be something we talk about a little later in the show but i remember that really stuck with me that they brought in these real wild animals into the studio for the artists to capture mm -hmm. yeah they definitely referenced real lions and um had a team go to africa to uh you know capture the animals in the wild um, well, always a ton of great research uh, done in, into these films. The, the story is, you know, it is um, ostensibly like an original story. Hmm. It was um, kind of presented as the first actually uh, completely original story from Disney Animation. Whereas everything previously, all previous 31 films had been adapted from mm -hmm. other stories. Oh, I didn't know that. So like the other ones were like Hans Christian Andersen and things like that. 
and this yeah. was the first time they like kind of went off script and did their almost, own thing. Almost no Disney stories are original stories. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's okay because these stories like stick with us for a reason, I think. Do you know what I mean? Like The Little Mermaid or you know whatever you're talking about there's a reason why these stories get told over and over again so of course disney's going to capitalize on that existing popularity mm -hmm. right and kind of like the apple like steve jobs mentality of like taking someone's idea and kind of running with it and like making it better i think mm -hmm. Disney, um like walt disney as a person really understood business in that sense in not only the movies but like the park overall and there's a reason that like disney has the best customer service and disney has all of these things because they take the best from everything and they make it their own and they make it the best right like they didn't invent theme parks but they like saw theme parks and they're like okay this is how we're gonna do it better and they saw probably like i'm gonna reference little mermaid every time because that one's on my head for some reason but they like probably read the little mermaid and they were like okay well we can make this even more amazing for families. So Lion King was like the first time they probably felt like they were taking more of a risk, maybe? Yeah, um, they, you know, distilling a lot of the similar elements that worked for their previous films. Um, right. it, 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 it very much still follows kind of the Disney formula of the, you know, the orphan story and the, the I want musical score, you know, um, you learn right out of the gate what, you know, what the characters each want from what, you know, what they sing about or whatever, which is fairly typical. Um, um, it says here contains elements of both Hamlet and Macbeth. Reading this from the, the Lion King uh, Disney wiki page. Um, but I, I haven't read either of these plays. It's like so Hamlet. It's honestly so Hamlet. So like, the only real big differences are like in Hamlet, the side characters are more important than they are in The Lion King as much as they are important in this show. I don't think that they drive the plot in a way that it couldn't be driven by one of the main characters. Obviously the point of having secondary characters and like featured roles is to drive the plot in certain ways, um, but it's definitely way more prominent in Hamlet. And then I feel like, um, let's see, the mom, like, uh, what's Simba's mom's name? Sarabi doesn't remarry. Um, there's actually a reference where Scar, like, assumes that she'll marry him and she doesn't marry him. And then, I was trying to think of this. I, obviously, all I wrote was Hamlet in my notebook here. <laughs> well, there's another moment in the animated one where it's similar to Hamlet, where um, Scar is talking to the skull. Do you know what right. I'm talking about? Oh, yeah. That's another thing that's in the staged version of Hamlet. <laughs> Right. I think there's lots and lots of similarities. Also, Hamlet doesn't have a happy ending. Like, Disney is so yeah. happily ever after, and Hamlet, like, yeah. it's just, like, a bunch of death. Yeah, mm -hmm. I was just thinking about what Christopher said, like, a second ago about, like, that Disney formula, and I don't know why I've never thought of that, but, like, they do always, like, sing within the first 20 minutes about, like, what they want, like, Tangled, mm -hmm. Little Mermaid, Lion King, mm -hmm. like, they do they all do that at the beginning and then obviously they get what they want but mm. in the real stories i mean hunchback of notre dame pocahontas like mm. in the real stories it doesn't quite go like that but yeah the disney formula they make sure that it has a happily yeah. ever after yeah i love i love the moment in um when zazu is in the cage after you know towards the middle what is it like the second act or whatever that um where he 
the scars wanting him to sing for him mm-hmm. and he goes into it's a small world after all and oh, um, yeah. just disney's kind of self-awareness there where where uh, I've, I've never actually been to disney but what uh, yeah forgive me but uh, <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> like i know that it's it's a really oversung song <laughs> and and scar's like oh anything but that no no anything but that yeah, I yeah. love it. Yeah, I do love that they do that. And like, okay, spoiler alert with the live action, they find an, a little moment in the new one where they start singing a very popular Disney song from okay. another Disney movie. Oh, no. So they kind of, they pull that reference out again. Awesome. Not with It's a Small World, but with, with another really popular one. Um, it. it is a funny moment of self-awareness. Yeah. You're totally yeah. right. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, that's one thing I know where this one it does reference another Disney song, um, the new one. It doesn't reference the same song, but it does have a nod to yeah. <laughs> to another work from the Disney uh, uh, music library. Yeah, it's, it's good Christopher is here because he's going to like keep us from going overboard with the spoilers. So <laughs> listeners uh, will feel well, confident. We're going to go full spoilers into uh, the 1994 <laughs> Lion King. Yeah. Um, but hopefully work our way into them as they go along. Um, th- I know there there's some similarities uh, where this is, is it, the story of The Lion King parallels a Japanese TV series called Kimba the White Lion. Are any of you feel familiar with um, this whole controversy? I saw on YouTube um, a comparison of the the plot, both plots and clips of the animation, and it kind of made my heart sink a little bit. I almost don't even want to acknowledge it because I love the idea that the Lion King is this Disney magic. But Mm -hmm. if you watch the the YouTube thing I saw, it does seem to take a lot of inspiration from that movie you're referencing, um, Philip, which was a little Mm -hmm. sad. Yeah, Kimba the White Lion was created in, I believe, 1966, the animated version, at least, uh, by manga artist Osamu Tezuka. Um, I mean, it. there are so many striking similarities between this series and The Lion King that are undoubtedly not coincidental, even right. though Disney does maintain, and they have always maintained that they are coincidence. Um, and I think Rob Minkoff just said I, I i'm not familiar with the show when pressed about it um but it, i think it's clear it was a mainstay of animation prior to the creation of the lion king that many of the artists who worked on the lion king would have been you know familiar and probably drew plenty of inspiration from that that work so it's just sort of a kind of a natural evolution of the earlier piece that found its way into this this more you know current iteration, you know, using the Disney formula and the you know current technology. Um, so it, it's tough. It'd be nice if they did acknowledge it a little bit more that that this was borrowing from that earlier work. But then they might have to, you know, fight off legal 
uh, <laughs> um, royalty issues, yeah, maybe, yeah. So, some, some, um, yeah, legal um, conflicts, and then the the company that produced um, came with the white line actually doesn't really have any problems with the Lion King. I think the CEO at the time Lion King came out, he was a big fan of Disney. And of course, the, the creator of Kimba was a big Disney fan back in the 1960s. You know, he had apparently seen Bambi a hundred times in the theaters. <laughs> and well, here's the thing, they probably him. didn't know how much money this film was going to gross over the next couple years, 10 decades or whatever, because mm -hmm. I think they might have thrown a little bit more of a fuss if they knew it was going to be like the hit it, it is like, maybe, I mean, I would if like, I were like, in their shoes. So many stems of the Lion King. There was like a mini series on Disney Channel. There was like the Broadway show. So many things that Disney's making all this money off of. And unfortunately for these smaller companies, you'll never get the giant that Disney is. You'll never be able to do anything like a lawsuit. They'll slap a couple thousand dollars on you. Like, be like, because five hundred thousand dollars to Disney, even though that sounds like a lot to the rest of us, is probably nothing to them. So unfortunately, I'm sure that even if they did regret it. Um, first of all, it's probably like out of the range of time that they could have lawsuit for that. And also mm -hmm. Disney probably would have found a way to win. So I think a lot more people know what Kimba the White Line is today. Oh because yeah. Of the Lion King. So it's maybe helped their bottom line a little bit. Yeah, um, definitely. Maybe. That's a positive way to think about it. But have you have any of you seen the Broadway version of the Lion King? I did. Um, what do you, th so w w the thing that sparked the question in my mind, uh, you, you brought up, um, Sarabi and like scars, ass assuming that, you know, she would become his consort. Uh, I thought there was sort of a plot line similar to that in the Broadway version. C can you elaborate? It, is there like a sleazy scar plot line in the Broadway version? Honestly, like I wanted to chime in that I saw it faster than Hannah, but I don't think I don't remember. Like what I just remember is the amazing costumes and and then the different song choices. But I don't yeah. I don't know if that was something that Scar talked about or if it was hinted at. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised because like on Broadway they can make things a little more adult mm -hmm. and in like in the live action they can make things a little more adult, but but I don't I guess Hannah gets this question, huh? <laughs> Do you remember? <laughs> so, um, I actually saw the show like a, a long time ago. So I saw it in like 2010 when it was actually in Minneapolis for the first time because fun fact, it was based in Minneapolis because that's where Julie Taymor who wrote or who did the direction for it. She was the director of the Lion King originally for the Broadway adaptation. So she, sorry, my big theater loser news, but by the <laughs> way, know who Julie Taymor is everyone look it up mm -hmm. she's super famous for direction and masks um and different kind of acting like that she's super great we studied her in college anyways so long story short I don't think that there was much more of um you know like anything particularly between Scar and Sarabi but there is a much more prominent place for Sarabi within the show. Um, there was um, a song. 
called like the lion's hunt, the lioness hunt, something like that. So Sarabi is a much more prominent character, I think, in the Broadway show, even though she does appear often in the animated film and in the new um, live action film. It's weird calling it that, you're right, Philip. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in the Broadway show, there's not really that much of a difference. I do think that with, um, like Jody said, with the costumes and the theatrics, I think Scar is a little more royal and less grimy. Yeah, he's like stronger. Sense. Like in the mm-hmm. Disney original yeah. 90s version, he's so like skinny and <laughs> slinky. And in the new version, he's like mangy. But in the Broadway version, like I remember him being like buff. Almost regal. Yes. Okay. And I think he's almost like, oh my gosh, like don't hate me, but he's almost like, Jersey Shore. Oh my God, you're so like, right. Me, like he's so like, like Holly D. at the club. Yeah, yes. he is in the Broadway one, and like you know he has money, but like his family's like, are you kidding me? And that's who he is in the Broadway show. And I yeah, can't he's like a trust fund kid that like went off the rails. But, like, <laughs> yeah, he deserves to like get grandpa's throne. You're so right, Hannah. You started this with long story short, and I knew you were gonna go on and on, but I'm really happy. That's, what, that's my big uh, scam. Just so all the listeners know, if I <laughs> long story short, you got another 15 minutes, baby. Yeah, hold on, everyone. <laughs> Buckle up. Well, speaking of Scar, the film, this 1994 film, and then when referring to the new one, we um, instead of live action, a word we could use is photo real. Um, <laughs> I'll but, forget. Is that what the term we are supposed to say is? Um, I, I think it works better than live action. Perfect. It's, it's the photo real Lion King. But um, the, the original begins, of course, with the awesome circle of life sequence um and then immediately goes into a scene involving scar being confronted about not attending the presentation of simba and yeah jeremy irons incredible performance as scar is is actually like it's a very effeminate portrayal of the character um you you kind of wonder like (laughs) why is he why does he have the ambitions he does if he's clearly the weaker of the two but as he says he got the lion's share of the brains so i guess that's what um gave him his you know his conviction that he could be a better ruler than mufasa too much live action what What's we this? need to like pedal back to 1994. <laughs> Here's yeah. the thing: it's so impossible to not talk about both because the new one is like on the forefront of our mind. It, it really is. A good job walking us through it. It's like, a it's a shot for shot remake <laughs> essentially. Um, I thought about doing them both in one episode, but um, we'll we'll figure it out. I I think we'll just try to get through our impressions on the original and then maybe um uh let let christopher go <laughs> because he hasn't seen the new one um and then we can all you know rant and rave on the on the on the new one this will be a little bit of a longer episode considering we went a week without an episode um but yeah the um the the story is pretty simple for the lion king it's not i mean feel like the popularity of the film stems a bit more from the aesthetics than it does 
the uh the actual like narrative aspects of the story that make it um innovative i mean it, don't you think it feels maybe a little bit um yeah i mean we draw the parallels to like shakespeare and stuff so it's it's fairly worn territory in terms of story um but what ways is the lion king subversive or innovative as a screenplay i mean i think that our silence sort of answers the question <laughs> that you're asking oh. it doesn't come out with these like new themes or new like plot lines it, it's i think to just i'm echoing i'm just oh sorry i'm like echoing christopher again but like it's 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 a disney story so you're right philip i think you know the really really strong things to pull out of it is the the animation and the the way they featured the music and everything mm. even more so than the plot itself like had mm. they done this story with humans but like the same dialogue and maybe like a lesser score it probably wouldn't stand out in the way that yeah. it does being that they decided to go with this all animal cast yeah. and and have a killer yeah. soundtrack the that's something that I thought about watching it again is that the the score and the music and the animation really carry the film like take take all of that away and the story is fairly just mainline Disney. Um, but maybe, maybe that's a hot take. In making it um, all animals within any film, I do think that versus a lot of Disney movies, which are like the princesses or really geared ter towards a certain gender. Not that I think like boys have to not love princesses. I'm totally every mm -hmm. boy can be a princess, but I do think um, this a lion, particularly as an animal, because for some reason in our human heads we have to assign everything. But um, I do think it is a very gender neutral movie, and it is a very all ages, like a truly all ages film. So it's not just for children. Like as adults, we can experience it and have like a feeling towards the film and making it stem from Hamlet, they grabbed all the Shakespeare buffs and the theater buffs and all of these different audiences that wouldn't normally see something. So I know Philip's all about mm -hmm. Frozen, but mm -hmm. not every person would want to go see Frozen because they think, oh, it's a princess, like little girls movie, which like it's not, but I think this has less of a stereotypical connotation to it because it's lions and like a desert. Yeah, um, that, you know, maybe identifies some of the um, thematic um, components that, that really spark our imagination, you know, that, that we go through these phases of our lives that can be really stark and uh, depressing and, and the others that are just so lush and vibrant. Uh, and this movie really communicates just the the polar opposite uh, ends of that kind of dynamic spectrum of you know our journey through our lives and trying to figure out who we are and our purpose mm -hmm. um, you know visually and through the music through the grandeur of the soundtrack um, everything is just so punctuated mm -hmm. um, and and we get these you know just classic moments of pathos and characters you know tragedy really to, right to invoke shakespeare right um, i think thank, like, yeah 
you're kind of nailing something that might you know make it stand out but that the theme of death and dying or I mean or like you know the circle of life or whatever it is like how like honed in on a lot more in the Lion King like you know him losing his father in a way where he was present not just like there wasn't a parent but there was a parent he like dearly loved and he has to go through that loss and go through that Mm -hmm. grief and also go through that like re-knowing his father in the sky but you know what I mean like I think you're right Philip like that that journey is probably except what's the word accentuated Uh, punctuated yeah accentuated like a, a lot more than the previous ones like I'm trying to think of the 32 movies before this one is there another story that really digs into like the afterlife after death type thing as strongly so I have here in my notes um the uh the marvel film black panther have have you guys seen that i was not expecting you to say that (laughs) (laughs) because it does the same thing where you have a deceased you know parent and this character is revisited um posthumously by the hero of the story in a very key moment um, <laughs> but yeah, the, that, um, so that is what immediately came to mind for me. Uh, but certainly other examples of that, I think, uh, you can find in, in literature and film. Uh, I don't know. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of, of one of the Alexander Dumas, um, novels. I think it's the man in the iron mask where one of the characters, one of the three original musketeers is getting like premonitions of his son who's off at war and and his spirit like comes to him <laughs> in these visions it's kind of crazy you know the son who's you know who's either dead or is near you know fated to die um so i mean it's something that's been around for a while kind of these connections that bind us outside of time and outside of life and death um, Star Wars yeah. has that, you know, luminous beings are we. I'm trying to remember, does does um, Bambi explore that much? You, you were talking about the 32, Jody was talking about the 32 previous films. Like, in a way, I mean, it, it explores, like, loss, but I think The Lion King, you have so many more scenes of Simba bonding with his father, whereas Bambi, like, of course, and Dumbo, like, they have parents that love them, but they don't they're sad but they don't grieve in the way you grieve with Simba I think and you don't you know Simba goes through that like pushing yeah. away his grief yeah. his almost his denial like mm-hmm. Hakuna Matata style and I don't think you you get that as deep mm-hmm. in previous movies I don't know what you yeah. I, I don't know if you guys can think of well if, yeah. if they do or not and in in the in the Lion King kind of along with the whole death it is is the whole ex- exploration of Simba's shame and feeling like he, it was his fault that his dad died and and scar pushes him away um you know saying what will your mother think and he runs away and he and he tries um i'm I'm just adding to that like that um that that's that's an interesting um part of the grief that simba has to has to work through but yeah right and and almost um and almost like his loss of his father he loses his mother in a sense because runs away because of the death of his father wow this is deep and he just like I think he chooses 
to protect his mother from himself. And until the moment where Scar tells him the truth, spoiler alert, mm-hmm. Scar <laughs> um, he doesn't know and he doesn't realize and he, you can tell that he has such a different yeah. sense of self yeah. after that moment. Yeah, it's, it is an incredible transformation and that definitely does make for, you know, what, one of the more unforgettable, um, you know, story evolutions, um, you know, especially told in a Disney film. Um, it, it is just so striking that this is, you know, being told, um, of course, through the eyes of animals and um, how that is able to sort of peel away some of the, you know, problems and hurdles that I, I think we sometimes have relating to other humans. Um, I, I guess it's similar to how animation itself tends to strip away um, sort of the distracting elements of, of humans to get to our their essence. Um, right. And uh, yeah, I mean, um, it, it, it just would be hard to present a story like this quite as impactfully um, you know, using um, ordinary human characters. Yeah, I think they, um, in using animals, I feel like I just keep coming back to it, but it's almost a removed sense of self. So we hear a lot that like, we want someone that looks like me or we need someone that looks like this and this character I relate to because, you know, for me, not that it's anything special. I have blonde hair and blue eyes. So for that, it's like, children want to see this but in the line wow it must be so hard to be blonde i know eyes to find super hard i know um but, (laughs) but um i'm a horrible example but i think in having animals or having these lines in a sense you're almost removing that and just being like i'm feeling this and i'm feeling that rather than i relate to this because of this or because of that and it is important but I think this is an example of with all removed, we can still feel and we can still have this emotion and have this film last a long time. Yeah. Um, yeah, this film is based in Africa, but there are no human characters. Um, there's really no reference to any um, existence of humanity as far as these animals are concerned. Um, yeah, the, I mean, the casting is a lot of white actors in, in the original, um, with a few exceptions. The new one is, is mostly black cast, so. Exceptions, kind of, including my queen, 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 Whoopi Goldberg, in that first <laughs> one, uh, broke my soul yeah. that she wasn't in the second one. I Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, it's definitely a, a diverse group, um, but yeah, the new one sort of went out of its way to you know, make sure that they had that African uh, representation in their casting. Um, I don't know, I, I, that's one of the more positive elements from the new one, um, the voice performances I thought were great. Um, the original, of course, exceptional performances yeah from like Whoopi Goldberg we, uh, Cheech Marin was also a um, um, what are they called 
the hyenas. <laughs> yeah, um, Jim Cummings was one of the hyen- hyenas. Uh, and um, Ernie Sabella and, um, oh gosh, um, mm-hmm. Nathan Lane, Tamoon and Pumbaa. They were originally cast. I really missed Nathan Lane. <laughs> yes, yeah. same here. That's going to be hard to beat. Um, Honestly, Christopher, I'm going to tell you from the get-go, he was not beat. <laughs> He's an icon, and they needed Nathan yeah. Lane. But that's yeah. a different podcast. What? Billy yeah. Eichner didn't... Uh... <laughs> he didn't... He didn't... Uh, he burst my bubble a little. I mean, the, uh, one of the strengths of the animation is, you know, they were able to utilize all these just mm-hmm. um, amazing visual um, techniques, like during the the I Want song, of course, in the original, um, the I Just Can't Wait to Be King, uh, you know, borrows from classic Hollywood, uh, Busby Berkeley and his choreo- you know, choreography, uh, imitating floric, uh, shapes, uh, floral sh- shapes and patterns through dances, and um, you know the animals, you know, basically <laughs> um, choreographed to, you know, form these spires, these towers that. You know, <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say they can build pyramids, and like real animals don't know how to build pyramids. So stuff you can't do in a photorealistic <laughs> fashion. Um, so there were, there were a lot of ways that animation was used, even if they were sort of making a, a realistic depiction of uh, animated animals, still plenty of ways in which animation was used to its fullest. Um, the I Just Can't Wait to Be saying, King sequence, um, Be Prepared. You have like a volcanic eruption going on all around scar and the hyenas <laughs> Ta- talking about that sequence have you guys ever noticed like the uh, allusions to uh like the nazi hitler and the nazis oh. and even the sickle the hammer and the sickle symbol when it pulls out from scar in the animation mm-hmm. and he's standing, I haven't. He's, like, he's standing under the moon intentional like they did this on purpose it it's i was when i watched it last i was it it almost has to be on purpose. It's so like the, they make the hammer and sickle, um, you know, like the communist symbol in reverse, but with the moon or whatever, it's, it's so close that it would, and then the hyenas all marching in a row, like, like typical Nazis. Yeah, it, it was, it, they, they were sort of pushing the, the imagery with the, the goose stepping um, hyenas. I, I, I'd never noticed the hammer and sickle though. That's a very interesting uh, <laughs> pole that you found. Um, yeah, it's it's that. mirrored. Mm-hmm. It's like right at the end of the song. Be prepared. Huh. There is a similar symbol to a swastika that means peace, and it was from um, like a different. Yeah, from India actually. Yeah. So thank you. Um, yeah, I'm sure that's not how you really trying that. to do something about peace. I know, yeah, I know, right. I know. Here's me like giving it the. Permission. Well, we we could talk <laughs> about hyenas in general and like uh, how they're you know portrayed yeah. in in a very nasty way in in these movies. Yeah, that's maybe not the most accurate to begin with. Right. I don't know. I'm I'm not 
a huge, um, you know, like animal uh, advocate or anything. Like, I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I don't know that much about. Well, that's your first mistake because we should all be animal advocates. <laughs> we should. But are hyenas not necessarily evil? Like, is that what you're saying? Like, they're I mean, actually nice in nature? No more so than lions, apparently, from, from what right, I've read. Right. They're they're pretty majestic beasts, actually. I mean, they're they're kind of ugly, obviously, which I think is is why they're villainized. You well, know. you know what they could have done? Hippos are very dangerous. They could have had hippos be marching around. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so I mean, and and I'm curious, like, why the everything goes to pot so quickly with Pride Rock? I guess it takes a few years, but it's like introducing the hyenas uh, hyenas all of a sudden makes like the ground dry up and drought to occur i think there are some explanations as to why that is like why pride rock becomes a desert with uh, you know the introduction of this this element this chaotic element um, and that, that is something that can happen in biomes where um just the animal um, populations become out of control, but um, it, it's sort of counterintuitive that that it would it would happen that way. You know, all of a sudden at the end when Simba defeats the hyenas, the rains come back and Pride Rocks magically restored back to its original state. Um, I it it plays well into the whole thematic. Um, you know bringing the circle of life back into balance mm -hmm. so it works as a you know mythical image but um biologically it, you know it's maybe not quite as uh you know this movie's not designed to necessarily be fully accurate right i don't think yeah. the hyenas are as much um i think they're almost like sure they're like the evil army but scar is obviously like the the villain i think they're almost like not to use a buzzword but they're almost like bullied and manipulated into using this behavior because they're desperate for food like they talk about it with uh with the elephant graveyard so they just want to be fed but mufasa is like resisting feeding them and stuff like that and i almost feel like um a it's almost like they're just trying to, they change their ways and follow Scar because they want to survive. And the um, the lions are seen as the dominant species and the hyenas kind of get the leftovers. Mm -hmm. So they see it as like their one opportunity to be not less than anymore. Yeah, well, that is true. It's That's one uh, symbolic part of this film that has been reflected on you know s since the the movie's inception and and that's like this you know idea of like you know Im immigration i guess of like the, the the hyena characters no. coming into the pride lands and not the right um, time it's, not the right year to talk about not not a great parallel but it's definitely something <laughs> <I'm just kidding. laughs> yeah it's not something that <laughs> you're dealing with entirely different species and you know issues of biodiversity so it's it's not a one-to-one -one comparison certainly 
<laughs> but it's just funny the, the kinds of conversations that are provoked by these yeah these kids cartoons in in real life it's it's interesting because hyenas are actually pretty opportunistic they're very different than lions in the sense that lions will stalk their prey for a while whereas hyenas kind of if if there's a sick one in a herd that's kind of behind they'll they'll take the opportunity and then they'll eat you know is everything um very quickly but then they won't eat for an extended period of time like they won't you know because because like you know it, it might be a while till they have another opportunity but mm. it's kind of interesting seeing that seeing the difference i'm guessing that's why hyenas are so quickly villainized mm. um okay just because they're a lot more me messy what sorry what was that i said he really did his research yeah <laughs> i'm just hyenas are fascinating i had a, a friend was telling me about them um but. yeah well it made me wonder to jump around how simba got so big and how he grew into a full grown lion if he wasn't eating other animals or if he was just eating bugs <laughs> that doesn't probably make a whole lot of sense but Maybe he found. We could ask our resident vegetarian, Miss Hannah, how you can get your protein <laughs> if you're not eating animals. Well, you can eat lots of flaxseed. Um, no, there's like different. I mean, obviously it's a cartoon, so mm. I don't know. But I mean, you can. By the way, I still stand for the bugs, and I don't think you should be eating those either. But anyways, I think um, I'm sure there's other sources of protein. Especially within, like, um, I mean, the place that they go to is clearly no longer the savanna. They're on, yeah. like a horizon that's almost like a, like a paradise. So I'm sure there's lots of like fruits and berries and different things like that. And then for your protein source, you would eat like nuts or something. You'd figure it out. <laughs> We'll just uh, leave that to the imagination. Yeah. Um, don't eat, don't eat meat. <laughs> <laughs> um, your arteries and save the babies. Okay, no, I'm done. So we haven't discussed the death of Mufasa. The oh my he, god, that's the most pivotal moment. Mm -hmm. The worstest, almost as bad as when you're freaking out that Scar is going to eat the mouse at the beginning. <laughs> Oh, yeah. yeah, he starts out on such a wicked note. Yeah, honestly, I'm like, oh my gosh, run, Gus, Gus, run. I I love I love talking about that opening sequence. I love that the first line of the film is is Scar's "Life's not fair" line while he's dangling the the mouse in front of him. You mean his foreshadowing because this is Hamlet? Mm -hmm. Well, I'm guessing. I'm guessing. Yeah. No, I was just going to like agree with you. Sorry, I always like want to jump in. But I think Hannah and you're both right. Like that's the perfect line. Like life's not fair. Because like that's like right. the epitome of his mindset yeah. the whole entire time. And he's never able to like break free from that. Like be grateful. You're the brother of the king. Like that is not a, mm. oops, sorry. That is not a bad position to be in. Like just be happy. Like you're saying life isn't fair. Yeah. But like the mouse was perfectly happy being a mouse until someone decided to come ruin it for him. Like exactly. be happy that you're the brother of the king. Be grateful. And That's the moral. Here's the thing. If you're the brother of the king and you're treating him well, you will be treated like royalty. But if you're a little brat 
that's why you live in a cave with a bunch of hyenas acting all nutty. Like, calm down, be kind, and you'd be at the top of the, quote, food chain. Hmm. Yeah, how did things how did things devolve so poorly between Scar and Mufasa? It's uh, you know, you you would think maybe yeah. it isn't all, you know, all the blame doesn't belong to. <laughs> okay, well that's another spoiler. <laughs> I mean, because like in the remake, they do make reference to "I won't let you beat me again," yeah. and then it gets your brain wondering like, what is the relationship with their past, like. I do think the live act, oops, the photorealistic, what, the CGI version mm-hmm. does yeah. try to give you a little more meat um, for the story because that is something is like, why would two brothers hate each other so much? Well, I never took that as like, beat me again in like that they had some sort of race. I just took that as he was the firstborn, so he like beat him to being born. I don't know. And uh, I feel like Mufasa is in general like, very kind to Scar. There's only like a few moments of clashing, but Mufasa just overall as a being, as a lion, I don't know, is just genuinely kind and Scar is always salty to him. Up until his dying moment, he trusts Scar. And Scar is always like literally throwing him off the cliff. Yeah, who knows um, the reason for Scar's you know it, bitterness uh, but yeah in the new film it's definitely established that scar did get his scar from from mufasa when when the two you know, had a challenge like scar i guess a challenged mufasa for the throne um but and he does talk in the new one when he talks to sarabi he said i know you left me for mufasa or something like that but I guess I don't know. I didn't take it too deep. Yeah, maybe something like that. Yeah, it's hard. You know, um, maybe the two were closer in prowess. You know, the the design of the new one does seem to be, uh, you know, more of a match for Mufasa. Um, yeah, it's. <laughs> Let's see. Can we? Can we talk about why he was named Scar if he obviously got that later on in life? Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, we can talk because about Scar that. is bitter and brainwashed. <laughs> I, maybe he just chose to be called Scar. Yeah. Like, or it was cause... like some self-fulfilling prophecy, like these parents had two little cubs. Maybe they're going to do a prequel. Maybe his name was like yeah. Charlie, yeah. and then they like nicknamed him Scar, and everyone just calls him that to be mean. Sure. Yeah. Wow. If his name was Charlie, they There's probably would have him Scarly. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Scarly. Well, like if Mufasa gave him the Scar, like he's the king, he's like, LOL, like your name is Scar now. Call him Scar. Everyone starts calling him Scar. Simba's born. They just tell him his name is Scar. The whole world is confused. Nobody yeah. remembers he's Charlie. It's really cruel. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Maybe that's the big thing. Maybe that's why he's that's, that's his. That's his pain. Yeah, that's it. There we go. Found it. <laughs> Made it up ourselves, fanfic style. <laughs> there we go. Give us a script for the prequel. <laughs> that's, what, that's what we need. We need the Lion King prequel. 
Well, I mean, there was a uh, Lion King one and a half, Lion King two. Yeah. There's been plenty yeah. of Lion King. Actually, yeah. I'm just now realizing this franchise is kind of huge, especially like within the Disney world. Like aside from Toy Story, I don't think there are that many with this many sequels, right? Winnie the Pooh would be There's a lot of different um, offerings from yeah. So it, it sort of just depends on what medium you're talking about. Whether it's like well, they have Lion King, Lion King one and a half, a movie, Disney, this one, the Broadway show. Mm-hmm. Like and the Broadway is like the highest grossing of all time, I think. The highest uh, grossing, or one of the one of the highest. I don't know if it's the highest. Uh, probably hmm. Phantasmagoria would be my guess, but mm-hmm. I think yeah. I could be wrong. If I'm yeah. wrong, I'll just throw my degree away. I'm just kidding. Crazy. Well, yeah, we, I mean, uh, we're we're all very familiar with The Lion King here, so we won't, you know, labor on film too much longer. Um, well, Philip, do you know any, like, interesting facts with the animation? I feel like you always jump in with, like, some weird, crazy <laughs> thing they did to, like, make it a step better than the rest. Or is this pretty much animated the exact same way that Aladdin was? Um, yeah, similar. Similar to Aladdin, it had uh, some just very rich visual development from Hans Bacher and Dan Saint Pierre, uh, as well as production design from Chris Sanders. Uh, Chris Sanders, of course, the creator of Lilo and Stitch and How to Train Your Dragon. Um, I don't know. Um, it it just went through a very long and um, sort of troubled production, uh, you know, going into finally like resolving some of the uh, plot issues. Um, the there was a moment when um, the directors as well as producer Don Hahn. Um, uh, Beauty and the Beast screenwriter uh, or head of story, I should say, for um, The Lion King, Brenda, uh, Brenda Chapman, and then the directors of Beauty and the Beast, they all like went into a room to hash out the problems that were affecting the plot of the film. And after two days came out with um, uh, a more coherent outline um, so it did, yeah, it was, uh, you know, a drawn out process to get this movie made. And it wasn't necessarily the cream of the crop at the Disney studio either responsible for, <laughs> uh, for, for, for bringing it to fruition. Um, that They had their more seasoned animators and artists working on Pocahontas at the same time, actually. Because mm-hmm. the studio had achieved a level of success to where they could be running multiple productions at one time. Um, so part of this movie was filmed, or was developed in um, Florida at their new uh, Florida MGM studio. Um, and then yeah, the, this movie came out with such a resounding success that it far surpassed the uh, you know success of Pocahontas, which was released as sort of middling critical and audience reception. Um, 
it, it was kind of an underdog tale bringing this movie to the screen. Um, other than that, um, not a whole lot more other than, you know, we, we have the whole notion of like Hakuna Matata and how that's, um, you know, sort of a double-edged sword. Um, it, it allowed Simba to cope with his, you know, his failings and like, or, you know, his situation. But then um, it was something he had to overcome when he was confronted by Nala later in the film. Yeah. Um, there's an interesting story regarding the music where uh, Hans Zimmer's friend, Lebo M, wrote the African lyrics in Zulu for many of the songs. Well, this friend of Zimmer's, um, you know, was um, asked to be brought onto the project, but Zimmer didn't have a way of contacting him until one day Lebo M just showed up randomly at Hans Zimmer's house. What? <laughs> yeah. Just a visit. Here. Yeah. It's crazy. When that happened, um, he, he became involved with this project. Um, Hans Zimmer had a little bit of reluctance working on an, an animated film, um, fearing that it might just be sort of less prestigious, more kid-centric than um, the films that he was used to scoring, but ended up being one of his most triumphant achievements. And he said he really enjoyed working on the film. Um, you know, the process of writing for animation is a little different than live action, but he said he definitely enjoyed it and uh, you know, would happily do it again. I can't think of what else he's done since then um, in the animated realm. But uh, uh, Wait, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong. Corpse Bride? No, no, no. Possibly. That's Sorry. Nope. That's the other guy. Um, that's Danny Elfman. Okay. Delete. Danny. Yeah. Danny Elfman's done a lot. Sorry about that. Um, I'm trying to... So, you know, Hans Zimmer, he, he's an incredibly prolific composer. Prince of Egypt. He did Prince of Egypt. Prince of, okay. Yeah. Oh my gosh, cool. the music from that is, okay, that is like a really fun fact because I love the music from Lion King and Prince of Egypt is my favorite animated movie, like non-Disney movie. Wow. Mm -hmm. I'm just a big Hans Zimmer fan. I didn't even know. Any Anytime that the movies, a movie's music stands out, there's a good chance it's Hans And now Zimmer. you know. <laughs> Of course, they also had um, Elton John and Tim Rice right. doing the musical numbers um, as well. Zimmer was more just the, the score, even though his friend Lebo M came to work on the lyrics with you know, Tim Rice yeah. and Elton John. Um, do you know what, like, Nas and Peyton, like, what that original, like, the beginning song, do you know what they're, like, talking about? Oh. The first opening number, they're speaking Swahili, I think. Um, yeah, I, I have it here. Oh, the, yeah, Natsiganya Ma Bagithi Baba, um, etc. Translate says, Here comes a lion, uh, father. Oh, yes, it's a lion. Here comes a lion, father. Oh, yes, it's a lion. A lion, a lion, we're going to conquer. A lion, a lion, and a leopard come to this open place. Um, <laughs> 
not not a lot of great punctuation here, but um, something along those lines. Interesting. Yeah. Um, Simba translates to lion in Swahili. So it wasn't just them taking the name Kimba from the Japanese uh, cartoon <laughs> and uh, transplanting it. Um, no, I don't know. Uh, any more thoughts on The Lion King? I mean, it this original... Um, and hopefully we'll end up being kind of the definitive version uh, going forward, even though maybe kids today might be exposed to this newer version you know, first, um, I'm, I'm fairly, um, confident that they'll still discover the original animated version. I, I think kids generally are, are still being fairly, um, immersed in a lot of the, the classic Disney animation today, hopefully. <laughs> I think it's iconic enough to be, um, always brought back to this classic film. Yeah. The animated one is like it's a big enough deal where I think families still for generations on will experience that film. Yeah. Well, Jody and Hannah, you would know well how familiar kids seem to be with some of the older work from Walt Disney. Um, it, they look at Cinderella and say, Elsa. Just kidding. But really everyone still says <laughs> oh, no. with Frozen. I don't think that many kids are very familiar, as familiar as we would want them as nineties kids to be with the classics. I think when Disney Plus comes out, that's gonna change a lot. I just think a lot of parents don't wanna spend $35 on a vault DVD. Um, so I'm excited for Disney Plus to come out and expose these kids to all of the classics. Yeah, that's kind of my thing too. So when Disney did all those like diamond edition DVDs and all of those things, um, I do think that, you know, some of them were only $20, but other ones were like crazy. And so it's, it's, um, interesting to me that in order to preserve the magic they're almost like holding back a bit and i think that jody's totally right when it becomes more accessible more children will be in it um we did have um a few years ago i was with a, a group of kids that we know and they were we would play that whenever that song would get played they would always sing along to I just can't wait to be king but I feel like it was more of a fun song and less of like they knew the film right hmm. right I think you're right so so I think for a lot of kids and I mean this is the same with like Dumbo and a lot of the new releases a lot of these kids yeah. their first experience with these movies is going to be the remake um for mm -hmm. for a lot of them hmm. especially with like anything that's not a princess movie well, interesting. I mean, yeah, Disney Plus could change a lot of that, hopefully. But sounds to me like a lot of parents out there who just aren't raising their kids right. <laughs> but they, there's a lot more quality competition these days, too, with Pixar. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess Pixar. That's true. There's such a plethora you know, a satur saturation for kids now honestly <laughs> all kids watch now is youtube videos of people unboxing stuff so i don't even know if kids would like appreciate what the lion king is because they'll be like wait is he gonna make slime at the end oh my gosh oh <laughs> uh, they're all just kids today are just going to be this horde of robots trash. the word you're looking like, for is trash just kidding i love uh, kids <laughs> 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm I'm quite removed from all of that, except my nephew. Oh. He's he's like my one, you know, out, um, yeah, entry point into the the world of kids today. Uh, um, let's see, Jim Cummings is the voice of the lion's roar in in this film. Uh, I I was guessing he came back for the remake, but I'm not sure. Uh, that would make him and James Earl Jones the only two actors to have appeared in, in both films. Um, but also Jim Cummings... Uh, well, no, 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 sorry. Jim Cummings was a, a voice of one of the hyenas. I'm thinking of Frank Welker, who voiced Abu in Aladdin, mm -hmm. also did the creature voices for Lion King. Um, to to yeah, in ridiculous talent. <laughs> um, let's see. I read somewhere that Jim Cummings sang for Jeremy Irons. That's because what I wanted to. Irons' voice gave out, or something. That's right. During "Be Prepared," the line "You wouldn't get a sniff without me." Um, that that blew Jeremy Irons' voice out. And so they had to get Jim Cummings to double as Jeremy Irons for the remainder of the song. That's it's pretty amazing. I never would have caught that. Um, I will say just a tiny comparison. The original animated film versus the live action film singing Be Prepared, um, which used to be my favorite song in The Lion King until uh, today's news. But anyways, <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I thought that they cut lots of the notes short in that. And it almost was less powerful in the sense that it almost seemed to me like they were trying to rush for a time or something. But I don't know if it's even time different. It just seemed like a very short sequence and almost like I think it goes into sorry for it's what Philip was talking about earlier it's like they cannot do the same things like with I just can't wait to be king and with be prepared the way that the animals act in those portions of the movies like it can't be recreated to be realistic I don't think like the green yeah. lava like how would they so I think they just mm -hmm. decided to cut their losses and take out the second two verses Hannah I, I wish mm -hmm. that they would have kept the classic songs classic and they would have kept them in there, like be prepared in the, in its fullest entirety. And I feel like I always just want more music. I don't know. So like mm -hmm. when we yeah. did the live action um, Aladdin, Speechless was a brand new song to me, but I was like, wow, they could have really added that second bridge and another verse and all these elements to it. And, you know, Disney's making billions, so what do I know? But I do think that I wanted a little more and be prepared because I needed him to be more powerful in that moment. Mm -hmm. But now I hate it, so it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> you, you really got uh, stuck on the, the Nazi imagery, huh? <laughs> I am, yeah, we should have called this podcast How to Ruin Disney by Philip and Christopher. <laughs> It, we're like buying annual passes over here. No, not anymore. <laughs> just kidding. It doesn't bug me at all. I think I think the symbolism makes it really strong. But like that's just my opinion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, and it and it shows the I mean the progression of the studios from the '90s, which would have been shortly after 
well, communism, I guess. But mm. um, we're bringing it back. We're bringing it back, Christopher. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> Political podcast. Yeah. Sorry, All right. Well, I don't know how we're gonna handle uh, tackling the the photo reel remake of the Lion King on the show because it's they're just so similar. And um, I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants here today. <laughs> um, I, I'm very grateful to all of you for joining me on this. Um, it's very fun chatting about the Lion King on yeah, the podcast. It's good to revisit but, it. Even though we didn't like go through every little aspect, mm-hmm. I think a lot of the listeners have seen it already. And it's kind of fun mm-hmm. to just toss around some thoughts that stand out to us, you know, decades later after seeing it. Yeah. I'm going to put out what we have and then we can decide what we're going to do um, with the remain, you know, remaining bit of what we want to discuss. Um, uh, do we get to say goodbye to our listeners or no? We'll we'll say goodbye. We'll sign off for now. This has been episode 35 of the Thodcast, conversations about animation, talking about The Lion King from 1994. And um, I've been Philip Elke, your host. Um, let's go around. Uh, Chris, where can people find you online? I found him already. Um, oh, they can... <laughs> <laughs> they can uh, they can find me on Instagram, um, just my name Christopher Whitmer, or uh, my website ChristopherWhitmer.com. Awesome. Hey Hannah. All right, everyone. <laughs> you can find me on Instagram too at Hannah Lee Ever After L E I G H Ever After, like fairy tales. Um, and Takuna Matata. Thanks for joining the podcast. Judy. Yeah, Judy, JK, it's Jody. But Judy. I Judy hey, can I use my joke again? I ain't lying when I said I had a great time with you all today. But if you want to like follow along with me and like my adventures, um, I'm on Instagram. It's just my name, which is J-O-D-I. And then my last name, Pulaski, P-O-L-A-S-K-Y. Sorry, it's nothing cuter, but yeah, feel free to follow. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. Uh, thanks, listeners, for joining uh, you can find me at Philip Elke, P-H-I-L-I-P, last name spelled E-H-L-K-E. You can hear us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Uh, visit us at thodcast.com. Thank you all so much for listening today. And um, you all have a magical day and a wonderful week. Uh, Hakuna Matata, everyone. Hakuna Matata, everyone. Hakuna Matata. Hakuna Matata.